welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the thoughtful book club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Hey Amanda. Hello. Welcome back to this book recommendation episode. If you're listening to us today, then you found an episode intended for new listeners or first-time listeners or just about anybody, because today we are going to try and persuade you, our dear, dear listener, to read a book with us for the next two weeks. Today we'll be discussing the... I was going to call it a novel, <laughs> the narrative nonfiction story, <laughs> The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. If you haven't followed us on social media, I should plug this first, I suppose. We are the Lightly Literary Podcast. You can find us under that name at Facebook and Instagram under one name, Lightly Literary Podcast. We post art updates and reminders about books and schedules, that kind of thing. So follow us there. And as always, rate and recommend us on your podcast platform of choice, wherever you found this episode should suffice. Now, again, we are here today to persuade you to read this book with us, and we're going to do our best to do so. I chose the book, and Amanda gave me the prompt for it, so Amanda, set up the prompt for this one. Sure. I said uh, to choose a book that someone, um, a friend or a family member, has recommended to you that you haven't had a chance to read yet. Yes, a great prompt, nice and wide open. I usually try and stick up or stick up, stick with my book recommendations from friends and family. And so I do try and get those read quickly. This, though, was a recommendation. It's been sitting on my shoulders for years now. My Aunt Susan, (laughs) uh, my lovely dear Aunt Susan, who lives kind of nearby us here, she recommended this book to me, I don't even know, in probably 2015, maybe even earlier than that, and was just saying that it was an enthralling tale. She loved all the facts about the World's Fair, and so I finally have relented now, and I don't know why it took me so long, because this book was a real treat. Yes, good job, Aunt Susan, with your recommendation. Yeah, yeah, I should have listened to her earlier. I think I've given her a bunch of book recommendations over the years, I think many of which have fallen flat, which is fine, because I read, you know, odd things and kind of a lot of different genres, but I'll keep trying. In the meanwhile, she's one for one at least, maybe even two or two or three for three, because she's recommended a few good reads to me before as well. So that's why I chose it. I'm going to briefly read from the cover for you listening, and you've never heard of the book The Devil in the White City before. This is directly from the publication cover. Quote, bringing Chicago circa 1893 to vivid life, Eric Larson's spellbinding bestseller intertwines the true tale of two men, the brilliant architect behind the legendary 1893 World's Fair, striving to secure America's place in the world, and the cunning serial killer who used the fair to lure his victims to their death. Or shouldn't it be their deaths? Plural? Yeah. Okay, well, whatever. (laughs) We'll get get on that copy, um, I think, anyway. That is the, the basic premise of this. It does, as I mentioned earlier, read kind of like a novel, but it is not. It is a nonfiction account that is pretty scrupulously detailed and researched. Anyway, let's get into our book recommendation. Amanda, let's not wait anymore. We've set this up enough. We begin all recommendations with a reading simile where we compare reading this to something. Amanda, start us off. What's the reading simile for you? Um, I said that, and this is probably because my daughter is obsessed with Brave, the movie Brave right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like medieval things are on my mind. Um, But I said uh, reading this is like looking at a medieval tapestry. There's so much to look at and analyze. It's beautifully presented. It can seem almost overwhelming with the details and perhaps even incongruous at times. Um, But it all has an overall cohesive theme or image Hmm. um, when you stand from afar. 
Excellent. I can kind of picture one of those. And they, the thing with those tapestries is they have to be read. There's kind of an order to them, but when you look at yeah. them, there's often subsections and there's like a part on the top for some reason. And then the, the images interplay in ways you wouldn't expect. They're kind of narrative though, right? Yeah, they are. They often okay. tell some kind of that thematically there is a purpose to it. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and they use those in brave. Then I remember some parts of brave. Is that how she turns into a bear? The mother? Uh, that's not how she turns into oh, a bear, okay. but uh, the tapestry, she tears the, she cuts a, oh. a rip in the tapestry that her mom was working that's on. That's it. I remember that. Kind of a symbol now. Yep. Okay. That's all coming back to me. Well, it's a great yeah. simile. Um, let Thank me, you. Let me throw mine out there. Mine is that I thought reading this is like watching a lot of, but not all of the street food videos on YouTube. You may have noticed a trend is that I end my night usually with like some YouTube videos. So I end up, I feel like a couple of my assemblies have been like this anyway. There's a lot of, a <laughs> lot of street food videos on YouTube. Mostly I watch the ones in foreign countries. There's a lot of smooth precision to it and a lot of confidence in the movements and everything. You can tell that these people are kind of these really expert craftsmen at this one really niche kind of job or this one really niche kind of food cooking. And so I'm thinking if there's a couple that have come out of Korea that I've seen people making large dishes with eggs or large dishes with like chopped up bits, you just, there's, it seems like a lot of, there's a lot of parts or moments in it that are almost too chaotic to work, but then the person kind of pulls off one final simple swoop or one little flick of the wrist and they have that confidence and then all of a sudden it just comes together and there's a lot of craft on display I guess is the other part of the simile I like yeah. and I think reading this contained a lot of parts like that it can be a bit chaotic I think the two narratives play off each other really well ultimately but the jumping around I could see some people being put off by that in the end though it is all done with craft and care it's got a heck of a flow for as much information as being just thrown at the reader and you know how much research is packed into this narrative but I think in the end, it's you just see the crafts come through. It's very, it's a very smooth experience. Would be my final thought. Yeah, I agree. I I love that you pointed out the craft of it. Like he, he's a very much a skilled writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And you know, shout outs to all you YouTube street food artisans out there doing the good work. <laughs> Hopefully, cool. you've been making it through COVID, cooking your egg dishes and whatnot, mesmerizing people <laughs> on YouTube <laughs> through your. In intricate, I'm thinking of, there's a lot of ones in walks too. I feel like I've seen some Vietnam ones anyway. There's, it's a whole world out there. Let's, uh, mm -hmm. let's move on to the scripted pitch. So this is the part of the book recommendation where we have written something in advance to try and again, persuade you to read this book with us. Amanda, I think I'll just have you go first today all the way through. You're taking the four, oh, okay. get into the four. Um, go ahead and give us your scripted pitch for this book. Sure. I said, um, this book is a great gateway book. If you like nonfiction but want to expand your knowledge on common fiction literary devices, or if you're the opposite, you like fiction but want to ease into more nonfiction readings, The Devil in the White City is a wonderfully stylized narrative nonfiction that loosely interweaves the stories of the Chicago World Fair and the first American serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes. There's a lot to unpack in this book for both nonfiction readers and fiction readers. Larson did a lot of research for this book, which is evident in the multitude of tidbits, quotes, and even weather notes that saturate his writing. He succeeds in including this mass of information without overwhelming the reader by enveloping these facts in analogies, imagery, and mood, among other literary devices. Larson explores an interesting time in America full of grime, industry, pride, and transformation, giving the readers a glimpse at both the positive and negative effects of America's progress. Yeah, it is. The, the mood that he can 
pull out of history is rare yeah. for sure. Or at least, if not rare, I think it would be we have to defend ourselves and be academic and hedge here. It is maybe a touch interpretive, but it never seems excessive. It just seems like he's trying to really dunk the reader in the moment <laughs> in a way. Yeah, and, and it's not that he's just creating the mood or the imagery out of nothing. He's obviously yeah, done his yeah. research as far as um, like going back to the days and checking out the weather and stuff like that and and then drawing conclusions from those that are not jumping to conclusions, but they are drawing conclusions. So For sure. I think it's a bit more forgivable in that way. For sure, and we discuss this in more detail later, of course, in the book club episodes themselves, but I don't think either of us felt he overstepped ever. And, you know, we're not yeah. scholars of this time period or any period. I guess you can claim yourself a Jane Austen type of scholar, but anyway, yeah, no. <laughs> I, it's far for me to say if this is quote-unquote accurate, but I know that the research is thorough, and so we can leave it at that for sure. But yeah, it's the... The intensity, the uh, how much he evokes is really impressive. So I yeah. completely agree. Well, time for my scripted pitch then. I, w yeah. I won't hold back. This is what I've got. <laughs> if you, the listener, have been savoring our culture's recent trend of pouring over murder stories, there have been serial podcasts and My Favorite Murderer. There's also a lot of Netflix shows about this. There's a couple, I think, serial killer and cult shows on Netflix. Then you may wonder why in the world Eric Larson would stuff half of this book with architectural industry stuff. I don't want to trap anybody. The architectural half of this book is noticeably the busier, bigger half of the story. Even, I think, once you get halfway, it becomes clear that Larson kind of ran out of research material on the serial killer, though he still puts in tidbits. But I, I really think his more keen interest lies in the grandiose story of the fair, the planning of the fair, the execution of the fair. And so I think... His passion there shines through, and I suppose it begs the question, why did he include both? I do have an answer to this question, but I don't think I'll share it, because we don't want to spoil it, and that's kind of the brilliance, really. I don't think Larson goes out of his way to supply one either. I think there are simple connections that he does explain, like the fair, there's more pet people around, increased foot traffic, that means the serial killer gets more vulnerable murder victims for homes, all that stuff. There are obvious connections, and he does talk about those, you could even guess at those. But I think there are broader implications about human nature and motivation and connection that he kind of teases and tugs at and he puts these stories up against each other, but he never fully explains it. And I, so I know it's a work with a thesis, but the ideas are kind of plunged behind the narrative. And I think that that's high literary praise, I suppose. It's going to give you a conclusion of these stories, pretty clear conclusions too. It's history after all their moments that definitely end. And I think it just still will leave you with plenty to ponder about what these two simultaneous stories are exactly doing with one another. It's really a tantalizing exercise in compare and contrast. And so to Larson's credit, I think some of the biggest questions of humanity are put to you, the reader, without super clear conclusions. I think that combined with the, the pure craftsmanship of the execution, it's just very sturdy writing. And so I think it makes for an easy recommendation. I can't imagine who wouldn't latch on to this book. If you don't love facts of history and grand men, because they are men, mostly, um, doing grand plans, I mean, that part reads pretty briskly, and then you can get back to your murder story. And if you don't really love right. murder stories, it's never super grotesque. Um, I'm way off script now, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> I conclude uh, by saying, again, I can't imagine who wouldn't latch on to at least parts of this book. Yeah, that's my pitch. Yeah, I, I agree that it's it's difficult to 
imagine somebody who wouldn't find something interesting yeah. in this book just because like, I mean, I'm not really a history buff either, but I did yeah. find the discussions like his, I, I found the architecture pieces really interesting. I don't, yeah. I just, it, there's so much humanity that he, he puts into his writing and we get to see uh, his, his, the people in history, like can come to life in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like Olmstead, like I, I love him. I yeah, think that yeah. he's such a great inclusion in this book. And I just, I think that it's to Larson's credit. I think that, that for sure it's just universal almost. Um, it's yeah. Anybody can, can enjoy it. Olmstead, you mean our curmudgeon collective grandfather, our shared grandpa? Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Although his, you know, well, no spoilers, but Maybe that joke doesn't play as well once you finish the book. <laughs> That's okay. He accomplished great things, great wonders in his time, and the book holds those up. Let's move now yep. to the quotes for clarification. This is when we quite literally read a quote from the book and use it to expand on something important about the book's style. Just basically give you a preview of what the book is like. I'm pulling an audible, Amanda. I'm going to give you a rest, and I'm going to go first, because why not? Whoa. I've got the book right here. Um, I'll give my quote <laughs> first, and I'm going to read from 154 from kind of the bottom. But even now the fair was laying off men, and the timing was awful. With the advent of winter, the traditional building season had come to an end. Competition for the new few jobs sorry, available had intensified, as thousands of unemployed men from around the country, unhappily bearing the label hobo, derived possibly from the railroad cry, ho-boy, converged on Chicago in hopes of getting an exposition work. The dismissed men Burnham knew faced homelessness and poverty. Their families confronted the real prospect of starvation. But the fair came first couple things there. I pulled it primarily for thematic reasons. This is his focus. There, I think there are other ways this entire narrative can be could be shifted to tell kind of a profoundly different story about the history of workers, labors, and unions. He is concerned with the great men helming this project. Like, he wants mm -hmm. to dive into their correspondence. He wants to dig into their lives, what they thought, their plans, their philosophies. And so... That the way that whole line ends with the fair comes first, I think that's in here too, or f philosophically, I think that's what's here too. Again, if you want to bring kind of a almost an ideological criticism to this book, just know what you you're getting coming into it. I think it, regardless, it's fascinating and quite readable. So there's that component. The other thing I'd mention is that he loves to sprinkle in little tidbits of kind of what I would call maybe pseudo history, like that line about the hobo. He will just inundate you with facts, and it's all very readable. It feels very accessible. I don't think he's trying to berate you with historical knowledge or something. You feel kind of like you're in on the, you're in on the history cleverness in a sense. He's trying to include you, not make you seem like you should have learned this or something. And so it all feels very inclusive and, and fact dense. So those are the two reasons I pulled that quote. I think that represents some choices that he made. I agree, and the I think that quote is good too for the broader American uh, mood uh, mm -hmm. at the time, which also informs the serial killer aspect too. But all of that, yeah. he, he builds the, the setting so well. He tells us exactly what's going on without it seeming like he's just dropping in facts, but he is creating a mood with that, even though he's mm -hmm. also teaching us stuff about history. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a great quote to show that he's, He's giving a lot of information without it being like you're reading a textbook. 
Yeah. And I think he has, he does have slants and takes as all historians do. He has lenses, but none of it feels berating, pedantic or anything like that. It just, Mm -hmm. it all comes across smoothly. Again, I think if you want to hold up some really broad kind of well, he, why is he shifting focus to this versus that kind of a, that kind of ideological criticism? It could exist here. But again, even if you think that's you and you're like, I don't want to read about these arrogant, you know, cigar smoking, 12 course meal eating dudes who, <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> ran around, you know, pompously and made people work in, you know, intolerable hours, et cetera, et cetera. Eh, it's still quite a narrative and you learn a lot about their mindset and you learn a lot about architecture and just... Yeah, I don't know. There's so many ideas in here to ponder that, yeah, it's worthwhile even if you come in with that critique. So, yeah, worth it yeah. regardless. Thoughts, Amanda, for your quote for clarification? I'm ready when you are. Cool. I um, I pulled from two different pages. They're right next to each other, but it's on purpose. So um, from page 264. I pulled this quote, the city's great buildings and lavish homes awed her, but its smoke and darkness and the ever-present scent of rotting garbage repulsed her. Holmes took the sisters to the Union Stockyards, where a tour guide led them into the heart of the slaughter. The guide cautioned that they should watch their feet lest they slip in blood. That's from 264. And then on the next page, which is about the fair... They saw the Pullman Company's Ideal of Industry exhibit with its detailed model of Pullman's company town, which the company extolled as a worker's paradise. In the building's annex, packed with trains and locomotives, they walked the full length of an exact duplicate of the all-Pullman New York and Chicago Limited, with its plush chairs and carpeting, crystal glassware, and polished wood walls. At the pavilion of the Inman Line, a full-size slice of an ocean liner towered above them. They exited the building through the great golden door, which arced across the light red face of the building like a gilt rainbow. So I pulled those two quotes because uh, the thing that stuck out to me, and even you mentioned it in your recommendation, um, in your scripted pitch rather, is how Larson utilizes compare and contrast throughout this entire book, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's like, so there's two narratives which you have Burnham and you have Holmes and he makes the distinction at the beginning that both of these guys are like brilliant in their own ways. They mm-hmm. all, he also yeah. constantly brings up their blue eyes. So at the beginning he shows like how they are similar, but then he spends the rest of the book kind of like showing how different they are. There's comparisons to like godlike behavior with Burnham versus like demon-like behavior with Holmes. And then you also have like in this scene, right, you have the black city versus the white city, the white city being the fair and the black city being Chicago, which is all smoke and grime and yeah. all this stuff. But um, it there's he's really great here with imagery. You can very clearly imagine what it must have been like at that time um, and also creating the mood, right? Like Holmes is bringing them to a pig slaughter and he's. Uh, a homicidal maniac and then right, like, right. you have the the pomp and the splendor of the white city with all these great men around right so i i really enjoyed the way that he kind of as i said in my scripted pitch um loosely interweaves the two narratives in, in a lot of different ways yeah he does not skimp on either sides of that same you know civilizational coin or whatever i'm not even sure if that's a word but (laughs) the civilization coin and so yeah chicago is both all of the muck and then of course the white city is all of the achievement and the splendor and you know with some complications thrown in 
both sides, kind of, sort of. In a weird way, Holmes's whole city block, they end up calling it the castle a lot, is kind of takes on some of those elements, too. But yeah. I won't say more, lest, you know, don't want to, you know, quote-unquote spoil things, because this story does read with some good sense of mystery and suspense. He wants it to feel like a narrative in a story. But, yeah, no, I, I was hoping, because I didn't pick one with a ton of imagery. I went a little broader and a little more, yeah. So I'm so glad you picked one like that, because he... It writes it with a novelistic eye and ear and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Really good quote and very impressive stuff. Let's move now then, Amanda, to the final section of this recommendation. If you've stuck with us so far, we want to end by giving you some literary advice, things to think about when you go into the book. Again, our aim here on these recommendations is never to spoil the story, but to instead to kind of advise you or give you some heads-up tips about how to read it. I will again go first because I'm just shaking it up today and I want to give you a rest so <laughs> let's let's do this um the literary knapsack my item today from the literary knapsack is going to be pretty informal didn't even bother looking it up in the literary dictionaries which i think going forward i think i'm kind of tapped out on those i think i'm just going to go informal all the time now <laughs> i don't even think snaps. i'm going to pull literary terms anymore i'm just going to start saying things <laughs> sentences or whatever generic advice anyway i do have a term today though and it's the idea of understatement i think I want to talk about this briefly just because I want potential readers to know that a lot of the narrative is quite explicitly and even heavily stated. You could even, if you want to be critical, say overstated. I don't think so, but I think I think it's well struck. But like the imagery of Chicago, the influences of these great men, the horrors of Holmes, it's all really described and he doesn't hold back. But I think, again, what I want to under what I want to talk about is how the connections you and implications you can find between the two dual narratives and kind of the life in these centuries and how America was developing, the place it was becoming, the people who were succeeding, quote unquote, in it, a lot of that is not left, a lot of that is not told to you. And so I think that those, the way it crosses over is a bit subtle. And more than I expected, it left that up to the reader. I think there are some attempts at the end to draw out some of the more obvious connections, which I thought was fine. But I think that it would really behoove any reader that as you're reading, just think about those things a lot. I mean, there's a reason that both are in this book. This could have easily been a book of one or the other, and it's just not. And so I think that that thematic crossover is really important to think about when you're in the reading. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And again, uh, yeah, kind of an interesting exercise in this read because it's those ideas are, are crossed over at times, but understated and then a lot of the the writing is really just not understated so <laughs> yeah interesting kind of combinations anyway amanda from the knapsack for you um i pulled the word foreshadow um this is mm-hmm. a tool that larson uses quite often oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> in this book um so foreshadowing is just giving the audience hints or signs about the future um, usually using imagery, language, symbolism. It doesn't directly give away the outcome, but instead kind of hints at it. So for example, from page 158, Larson writes, such peaceful intervals never lasted long. And then that's it. And then he moves on to a different mm-hmm. topic. Um, so this is a lot of the foreshadowing that he does, including this one, it's like he describes sometimes some like some amazing thing that's happened, but then he's like, "Eh, but it's not gonna last, guys. There's something yeah. gonna go wrong," and it just kind of leads you through the book, feeling like there's always 
a catastrophe <laughs> around the corner. For and sure, yeah. And so there's like, uh, it, it's really great actually in, in creating mood throughout the book as well. Um, mm-hmm. And he he's pretty uh, heavy handed with that throughout. Not that it's a bad thing, but it's it is very obviously present. <laughs> yeah, it's foreshadowing blunt force for sure. It is not yeah. done with a subtle hand, which is fine, and it's effective yep. for that reason, I think. And frankly, given all the different narrative threads he likes to pick up and put down and skip, you kind of need it to be obvious because the reader shouldn't have to put it together like a puzzle. The narrative structure here right. is already kind of puzzle-like in how it jumps almost every other chapter. So, yeah, you mm-hmm. can't... Being hyper-subtle with that would just not be that effective. And there is yeah. there is a Chekhov's child toy in this story, too, so keep an eye on that one. Whatever that thing was, oh. a metal toy or something. But, yeah, there's all kinds. And he loves to end a chapter with foreshadowing, too. That actually... How many, what percentage of these chapters do you think end with foreshadowing? <laughs> like 90%? Oh my gosh, I'd say like 80%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's his favorite <laughs> literary trick, which again, in terms of building suspense and that, that page flip ability, you really can't beat that. And it works well, and it's well-crafted, well-thought-out. So yeah, completely agree. It's a perfect one. Okay, that is our book recommendation. That's our pitch to you. If we did not persuade you, then... We'll try better next time. We always do. We do have other books coming up, um, and we've chosen ahead. We always try and pick about three or four books ahead, so we've got those ready. They are in order. Wild in America, which is Wild with an E, by David M. Friedman. Tracks by Louise Erdrich. And Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom, by Thomas E. Ricks. So is that two nonfiction, one fiction? We're really feeling the nonfiction lately. We're in a bit of yeah, a stretch. Yeah, we're, we're all about it. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, hopefully those are good reads. We are We've not read them yet, so I'm eager and excited. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. You can, as I mentioned at the beginning, find us on Facebook and Instagram under that name, all one word. Tell your friends and family about us, rate and review us, etc. Amanda, any final thoughts on uh, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson? No, it's, it's a great read, and the cover for it is beautiful <laughs> yeah we got to this in book club too but more pictures folks come on we're maybe we're just literary simpletons <laughs> where we grew up on that americanized textbook diet of nonfiction. but this book needed more pictures it's just so tantalizing yeah. every time one came up mm-hmm. ah oh well yeah <laughs> a complaint for another episode okay that's gonna do it for our show today as always thanks for listening shout out to my aunt sue for the recommendation you really pulled a great one out so appreciate that and as always folks we'll see you between the pages 